You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, the week after Easter is, um, in one words of my friend, I had lunch with a pastor this week, and he goes like, man, Easter was great, but I feel like I'm on a three-day hangover. That's kind of how pastors feel sometimes. Uh, it, it is sort of the ultimate what now sort of week. And so last week we gathered together, there was incredible music, Todd preached an above average sermon, and uh, you guys sang, like you clapped, I saw it, it was there, you did it twice even, it was pretty awesome. And so here we are again, like what now? It's not a new question, obviously, Uh, the disciples had the same question. This Jesus who they followed, who'd been preaching, who'd been teaching them how to live under God's rule, had died, but was alive again with them. They touched him, they saw him, they talked to him. Jesus was alive. And their question was, what now? They thought that the end had come. That's what they thought the the what now answer was. We're going to set up kingdom shop with Jesus. This is the end. Jesus gives them a little course correction he tells them, no, it, it will come, but when it comes, is not for you to worry about. It will come, but first, the mission of God. So they're asking, what now? And his answer is, the mission of God. The resurrection wasn't the end of the mission of God. It was the next phase in the mission of God, and it would be an incredible phase. I have my own version of the, of the what now question, and it has to do with uh, what kind of church we want to be. Now, that question doesn't immediately resonate with most of you because, you know, you don't come to church to talk about church. Right? We, we don't typically think about our spiritual lives in terms of the church. We think about it in terms of like our own individual walks with God, which is a very real thing, but it's only part of the thing. Uh, God's design is for you to belong to a body, to a church, and so if this is your church, then There aren't very many questions that are more relevant to your life than what kind of church does God want us to be? And so I have that question, and here's kind of how it takes shape in my life. When we we started Providence about seven and a half years ago, this was the burning question. Okay, we're going to do this thing. What do we want it to be like? What kind of church do we want to see God make out of us in Austin, Texas? And so we made a list of all the, not all, but a lot of things we wanted to see God do, and some of them were like normal things, and some of them were just crazy things, and you know what? God did like all of that, and more, to be honest. We named our church Providence because after we made the list, we knew like, well, there's no way this is happening apart from God. It'll have to be his like sovereign grace and providential work among us, and so we have actually seen God do some pretty incredible things. Now, here's the catch. At least for me, most of the things on that list kind of had a four to five year time frame. Like as a church planner, when you're starting a church, you're thinking about very practical things like, will we be like sustainable and financially viable? Will anyone come? And you know, that kind of thing. Will we have space? Will we have staff? It's all the organizational kind of stuff. And most of that kind of had a four year run in my head. And so we got to year four or five. And I started looking around. I was like, man, God has done all the things that we asked him to do. Like, here we are. We exist. People ask me sometimes, how's the church going? And I say, we exist. That's the only success criteria I've ever had. We're here. I think it's going okay. 
But it started to make me ask the question of like, well, well, now what? Like now that God's done all the things that we'd hoped he would do, I, we're still here. What, what now what? The question kind of bugged me. And here's, here's kind of two ways I go with this question, and they're both wrong. Uh, one of them is I go toward like the comfort answer. Well, now what? I don't know. Let's just enjoy it. Like I like all these, like most of these people, I like, I like what we're doing here. God's doing cool stuff. Let's just kind of like, you know, stay with it. Let's just enjoy what we got. That's the, and it's really driven out of comfort. It's out of not wanting to take risk, not wanting to upset the, the status quo, and wanting to just kind of stay in my groove. The other way I go is just the exact opposite. It's probably an overcorrection from the comfort thing, which is to like get really ambitious. And I think, oh, well, there's all kinds of stuff we've got to be doing. I get angsty that we're not doing more. And I start just making up stuff that we should do. And it's, it's all just selfish ambition and just like a desire to feel like we need to be doing more. That, those are the basic two ways that I answer the now what question. And, and it's been bugging me for like a couple years now. And I haven't quite answered it. Last December at our staff planning retreat, which we do twice a year, um, we just opened the book of Acts and we just said, okay, let's read these first few chapters and let's just ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be? But let's only answer it from these chapters in Acts. Because they were asking the same question, now what? And so we did that. And man, it was incredibly refreshing to ask that question and answer it from the scripture instead of just from my own comfort or selfish ambition. And so uh, we went through that exercise together, and then we did it again uh, with our members in February. We read through various passages in those first few chapters of Acts, and I asked our members of our church, let's talk about what kind of church you want to be, and let's answer it from this text, and more stuff came out. And it's all like really incredible stuff. It's, it's a really uh, invigorating, refreshing vision of what God wants to do with us. And I hope today that as we get into the book of Acts that that same thing will happen for you, that you will catch a vision, a God-sized vision for what kind of person you want to be and what kind of people, church, uh, we want to be. The question in this chapter and in these first few chapters of Acts is what now? And the answer that Jesus gives is the mission of God, that's what. And I just sort of want to set up the series today by looking at a few key words in this opening chapter, in these first few verses. Uh, the key words are kingdom, witnesses, and spirit. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to touch on them. I just wanted to sort of introduce these things. We're going to talk about them more in the weeks to come. But in each one, I also want to pause and just think about how those things would relate to us, how we might sort of launch off of the, these words and envision what kind of church God wants us to be. And so let's begin with the word kingdom. If you uh, open your Bibles to Acts 1 and you begin to look through there, uh, you'll see in this text that the kingdom of God is pretty central to what's going on. It's a central part of the mission. If we're asking, what is Jesus doing in his resurrection? Well, he's, he's doing kingdom. He's expanding the kingdom. And this isn't new. Uh, in Luke's first volume, so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. Two volumes, one book. And in the first volume, he summarized Jesus' ministry by saying, well, Jesus just went about proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And of course, you see Jesus teaching about the kingdom often. Uh, he teaches his disciples to pray that the kingdom of God and that God's will would, would come on earth 
as it is in heaven. At the end of this scene in Acts 1, you see Jesus is lifted up. A cloud takes him out of their sight, which is kind of weird. But a cloud is rich Old Testament imagery for the glory of God and the presence and the power of God. And so Jesus is being taken up to God. He is being glorified. He is going up, as we saw in Hebrews, to sit at the right hand of God. It's a place of power and authority and rule. And the disciples are totally wigged out by it. And an angel tells them, hey, don't worry about this. Stop looking at him. Go do mission now. And, and, but the angel tells them, in the same way that you saw him go, he will return. And so Jesus will return bodily. And he will return as a king. We see it in Revelation. He comes back as the king of kings to rule over new creation. And so to talk about the kingdom of God is just such a huge concept because it includes all of that. The, the glory and the presence and the power of God. It includes God's justice and his peace. It includes the eternal state of things when Jesus comes back. It's a huge subject. All right, so here's a very simple way to think about it. The kingdom of God is just the reign and the rule of God. Dallas Willard puts it this way. It's, it's wherever what God wants to happen, happens. It's the range of his effective will. Now, of course, God reigns and rules over everything, right? That's true in one sense. But in another sense, uh, we have the capacity to rebel against God. I have the capacity to reign and rule over my own life, to do what I want to do. Right? That, that begins in creation. Creation, God rules over everything. Everything works in harmony with God's will. But, but Adam and Eve make a move for independence. They decide they want to call the shots in their own life. And their rebellion ushers sin into the world. And when sin comes into the world, everything in creation is fractured. It's not in harmony with God anymore. And there are times where people are aligned with God in some ways, but for the most part, humanity just kind of goes its own way, does its own thing. Uh, the best illustration of that is probably the Tower of Babel. People are like, all right, look how great we are. Let's build a tower up to the heavens. So all throughout Genesis, God has been telling his people, be fruitful, multiply, spread out, cover the face of the earth. And in Babel, they're like, mm, no, we're going to build up. You know, it's, it's a monument to the greatness of man. That's, that's man going his own way. But God doesn't give up on the mission. Uh, he, he locates himself, he binds himself to a people, the nation of Israel. But it's never just about them. Like, so when he calls Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a great nation. But the purpose of this nation is to be a blessing to all the nations. And so... Uh, Israel was to be that, but they never were, of course. Israel wanted a kingdom that was about the people and the land of Israel. And that's, that's the tension you see throughout when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. His disciples are thinking about something different. So, like in Acts 1-6, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, but their idea of the kingdom has become something very narrow. It's about them. It's a sort of national, political, ethnic kingdom. And they think that's what Jesus has come to bring. And so that's why they ask him in, in verse 6. Is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's their expectation. It's a very narrow view of what God's doing 
in our world. They're focused on a physical kingdom that's for them. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm bringing a spiritual kingdom for all. Because Jesus is the new Adam who, who doesn't rebel against God. And he's the new Abraham through whom all of the nations truly are blessed. Look at Acts, uh, the next few verses, in Acts 1, verse 7 through 8. This is Jesus reorienting their understanding of the kingdom. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see what he's doing? This is not a physical kingdom for you. This is a spiritual kingdom for all. And when I say spiritual kingdom, I don't mean that it doesn't have anything to do with, like, our physical realities. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that it's not limited to or governed by physical realities. The kingdom of God is governed by spiritual realities that do manifest themselves in very concrete ways. All right, we could say a lot about that, but maybe just as a quick example, um, what it means for me to bring my life under the reign and the rule of God in concrete ways might look like with my money. Like when I go from thinking about my money as something that belongs to me, as something that belongs to God, it changes how I see it. And when I use my money as a steward for God's purposes, I have now brought at least that little moment of my finances under the reign and the rule of God. The kingdom of God has come to earth in that little moment and in that little thing. Uh, If you're in a dating relationship and you're thinking about how do we honor God with our bodies because our bodies don't belong to us, they belong to God. Temples of the Holy Spirit. Like when you're thinking that way, and like, okay, so what does our physical relationship look like outside of marriage? How do we honor God and one another in this? When you're thinking that way and you begin to act accordingly, then you're bringing the kingdom of God into that area of your relationship. His will is being done. When you're frustrated or irritated with somebody and the natural response is to be defensive or to attack and you just you stop and you say, okay, wait, God, how do you want me to view this person? And you see them as an image bearer of God, someone he loves and died for and you respond in gentleness and kindness. The kingdom of God has come into that moment. Do you see how that works? It's governed by trans- transcendent realities. It transcends ethnic and, and physical, geographical boundaries. Anyone who would bring themselves under God's reign and rule can bring the kingdom of God to earth. All right. We can say a lot about that, but the emphasis in this passage is just the big picture of what God's doing. And, And what is he doing? Well, through Jesus, he is bringing people under his reign and rule, and through them, he's expanding his glory over the face of the earth. That's a pretty incredible mission. That's a pretty awesome answer to the what now question. What now? We're going to like set up shop? No. We're going to take the glory of God to the fi- cover the face of the earth. Well, that's pretty cool. Like who would not want that kind of purpose and impact in the world? Now I want you to see something uh, cool that happens here. When you read through Acts, one of the things that you see over and over, and, and John Sharbrock pointed this out to me this week, one of the things you see over and over is the idea of unity. All of the, they're like, they're all together, it says. They're of one accord. They have a single mind. There's this incredible unity among these people. 
And it shows up in their daily routines. They worship together, they pray together, they open their homes to one another, they share meals together, they share what they have. Like what belongs to them, they act like it belongs to whoever needs it. There's this amazing, amazing community of people that deeply cares for each other and deeply values everyone's contribution to the mission. Now how do you, I mean we all want that, but how do you get that kind of community? Well, I think it begins with the mission. Once they get unified around the mission, like the the nature of the kingdom and what God is doing in the world, it liberates them from self-concern. It liberates them from wanting a kingdom that's for them. And it turns them into the kind of people that that move outward to others. And so now they're free from trying to take care of themselves because God is taking care of them. They begin to serve one another in love. It's hard to get unity for unity's sake. Like, it's really hard to get a group of people together and say, let's have a great community. Okay. Around what? Because, because unity is always formed around something. And in this case, they get unified around the mission of God, and it produces a, a really beautiful community. And it gets better. Here's, here's what you begin to see as Acts unfolds. That community that is in Jerusalem gets more and more diverse. Not just in Jerusalem, but like, as it expands over the face of the earth. And so in Acts 1, it's just, it's just the men and the women who had been following Jesus through his earthly ministry. Those are the ones that are in this new resurrection mission. In Acts 2, it's Jews from all over the world. So it's still Jewish people, but now they're Jews from all over the world who are there. That's at Pentecost. We'll look at that next week. In Acts 8, Philip is proclaiming Christ in Samaria, and Samaria is like half Jewish, half Gentile people, not people that the Jews kind of thought highly of. And Philip is there proclaiming the kingdom in Samaria. In Acts 9, a Roman officer named Cornelius comes to faith in Jesus and his whole family, and it is not a small thing. Like, that challenges their unity, because... I mean, there's this whole debate in Acts 15 about whether or not the Gentiles can have the Holy Spirit. Do you see, you see how they're still thinking a little bit narrow? How that's their, their tendency is to kind of drift back to this kingdom for me thing? And they're like, wait a minute, Gentiles? Can they have the Holy Spirit? It's a huge debate. That sounds so weird, doesn't it? Yeah, we've had those kinds of debates in our day. But they end up unifying around the gospel. They, they set aside their cultural ethnic biases and they unify around the mission of God they unify around the message of the gospel and they say well if God is doing it if the Holy Spirit is showing up in his life then yes let's receive him and the church begins to expand and the diversity isn't just ethnic as it grows we see poor people and rich people together forming churches as it grows we see people from all kinds of spiritual backgrounds there's this Really wonderful and powerful diversity of people unified around the mission of God through Jesus. It's pretty awesome. Now, it's not all happening in one local church. It's happening as the churches expand. And we want both. Like, if you're asking me, Will, what kind of church do you want? I want that. I want a diversity of people, an increasing diversity of people unified around the mission of God. 
I want it in this room right here. And I want it in our city and wherever God will give us influence. Meaning, I want us to plant churches that reach all kinds of people in all kinds of areas. And that we would have an a increasingly diverse mission in the city. This is happening. It's happening here. Um, let me give you just one example. I'm going to give you really small examples, but I think they're representative of what God's doing. Um, one, of the, one of the gaps in our church is an age gap. And so old, old people, which means like over 40 in this church, old people walk in here and they're like, wow, I'm the only person over 40. All these people must be in college. And young people walk in here and they're like, man, there are some older people here that I really need in my life, but I don't know if they would want to hang out with me. Each party is thinking that the other one has no interest in them. And so we need more age diversity, life stage diversity, but God has given us something. We're not taking advantage of it. Some people are, though. So like my friend Willie finds Kendall's dad. I mean, Eric's one of the oldest guys we got, right? (laughs) Old and wise is what I mean. And he's like, I'm going to start hanging out with that guy because I'm sure that guy has some things that he can teach me about life. And the answer is yes. Papa Hyog knows some stuff about life. And so Willie begins to meet with him, and I've heard of some great, great conversations they've been having. But then I also got an email from a younger guy in our church who was telling me how Willie had reached out to him and was investing in him and spending time with him and helping him think through career stuff. And the guy was just overwhelmed about like, why a guy like Willie would take time to take the initiative and do that. And here, here's this wonderful picture of three generations of people just learning from each other and discipling one another. Man, we need more of that. We need people from different backgrounds and different ethnic uh, backgrounds hanging out with each other. Different age groups hanging out with each other. It's happening, but we need more. We think about expanding our influence in the city. For us, primarily that means planting churches. Austin is a weird city. I guess a lot of cities are like this, but it's very segregated socioeconomically and ethnically. And so if you think about how does the kingdom expand to reach all kinds of people, one of the ways that's going to happen is that we help plant churches everywhere all over the city. So last year we planted a church in South Austin, uh, Trinity Church, but that's just the beginning. Like we want to plant churches that plant churches and we don't want to stop until, well, until God tells us to, which I don't think is going to ever happen. And so we are praying, God, would you give us church planters and people who would want to plant churches in really hard places in this city, really unreached places in this city, places that, that if I went in there, I, you know, I would not know what I'm doing. Right? We want to see that happen. Uh, we want to see God use us around the world, and so we've developed partnerships right now in Guatemala City and in Lagos, Nigeria. And you've, heard both, you've seen both of those pastors on this stage uh, sharing and preaching and God is doing some pretty incredible stuff through those guys. I really think that both of those churches have, have potential to have national influence in their countries. I really do. We translated some of our small group resources into Spanish. And through a partnership with the Gospel Coalition, those have been distributed all over Latin America. I got a phone call this week from a girl who lived in Guatemala who had gone through that small group who married a guy and is now in California. And she wants to take their Spanish-speaking church in California through it. Okay. That sounds awesome. And so God is using things, little things that we're doing to expand his kingdom, but we want more. May the Lord give us and make us a more diverse people unified around his mission. Listen, not because it's cool. 
Not because we'll feel better about ourselves, but because Jesus wants that. How will it happen? I don't know. I mean, for starters, we'll unify around the mission instead of preferences. That's the starting place. Beyond that, I don't actually know. I think we need something like the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us and do stuff. That's actually the kind of church I want to be about. I want a kind of church that I can't make happen, that God has to make happen. All right, Jesus is building the kingdom of God on earth. That's the mission. That's what he's doing. How is he doing it? All right, that's the next word. Witnesses. Here he is talking about the kingdom of God, which we have seen as God's mission to expand his reign and rule over the face of the earth. And then he says this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, talk about feeling the tension between something really supernatural and something really ordinary. God is expanding his reign and rule, his kingdom across the face of the earth and how's he doing it? Through just like people. Ordinary, broken by the fall people. Who are we talking about here? What kind of people? Peter? We're talking about Peter? I mean, here's the guy that denied Jesus, and now you're saying he's going to be a witness to Jesus? Yeah, you see it happening right away. In Pentecost, in chapter 2, which we'll look at next week, Peter preaches preaches this incredible sermon. And I got to think that when he finishes it, he's like, "Mm, how's that going to go? And then it says that people were cut to the heart. And they started asking him, what do we do now? And Peter's like, oh, oh, be baptized, repent. (laughs) The kingdom is at hand. We're talking about guys like Paul. Because Paul was Saul. Like, so Saul was opposed to Jesus. Everywhere that people went about bearing witness to the risen Christ, Paul, Saul, was on their heels snuffing them out. And so we're talking about that guy. The guy who opposed to Jesus, persecuting the church. He is going to be a witness to Jesus. All over the face of the earth, that guy. And not just guys like Peter and Paul and the apostles, people like us. In Acts 2, he gives a summary of kind of what's happening after the resurrection. And it's just normal stuff. The people are gathering together to go to church, to eat, to pray. They're just kind of doing normal stuff. But then the last line in the summary is that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And again, it's not just there, it's it's everywhere because as the people began to move out from Jerusalem, and incidentally, the reason that happened is largely because of persecution and suffering. So like bad stuff started happening there, like we gotta move. And they started moving out. But as they did, everywhere they went, in all the new neighborhoods and cities that they went, they bore witness to Jesus. They talked about what God had done in their lives. And as they did that, people came to believe in Jesus. People entered into the kingdom of God. They began to learn how to bring their life under God's rule and little churches started popping up in those cities and those churches started planting other churches in the nearby cities and just the kingdom began to grow from the ground up. What an encouraging word from Jesus. You will be my witnesses. 
I think sometimes the reason we don't think about a God-sized vision for our life is we just don't feel qualified for it. Wait, I'm going to help take the gospel to the city of Austin and beyond? I don't know about that. I'm not very good with people, kind of not quick with words. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't know. What's interesting is none of those are listed as the qualifications. As far as I can tell, the only prerequisite prerequisite is that you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you are witnesses to Jesus. And you are agents of his kingdom expansion plan. How is the kingdom going to expand in Austin? Well, churches will proclaim the good news of the gospel. And they'll do it faithfully. And they'll do it kind of average. But God will use it. But more than that, people like you are just going to go about your stuff. And wherever God's people go, to work, in their neighborhood, to happy hour, wherever it is, they will bear witness in all kinds of ways. They'll speak about him. Their character will testify to him. The way they interact with people will speak about him. In word and in deed, they will bear witness to the risen Christ and God will add to our number those who are being saved. If you're asking me what kind of church do you want to be, that kind of church. A church where God is adding to our number regularly those who are being saved, those who are coming to see the glory of God in Christ. It's happening. Uh, Last year, there was a person in our church, a member of our church, who kind of felt convicted that they weren't inviting people into this. And so uh, they invited someone, someone who wasn't a Christian, hadn't been to church in a long, 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 long time. And that person came, and it was weird, because church is weird, if if you're honest with yourself. But it was also kind of interesting. It's like people were interacting and and paying attention to him. And so he got kind of into the community, began reading the Bible, and that was weird too, but just kept doing it. And over time, I just began to notice, man, something's going on in that guy's life. And so I I had a few conversations with him, and one day I cornered him. I was like, hey, tell me about what's going on in your life. Seems like God's up to something. He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, God's definitely up to something. So, well, tell me about it. And he told me lots of things, but he told me this one story that just got my attention. Uh, he, he was in a very important interview of sorts where he had to like basically perform for a group of people. And it was, you know, that's a situation where you're anxious, you're nervous, there's a lot of pressure. That's how he would normally feel. And he said he just got to this point where he decided to pray. And he said, I just invited the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to fill me up. And he said it was the first time I'd ever performed like that, but not for people, but for God. All my anxiety was gone. The pressure was gone. I just wasn't worried about it. Now there's a guy who has learned to bring his life under the reign and the rule of God by the power of the Spirit. In that little moment, in that little interview, God's kingdom had come in his life. I'm going to ask you to do something really weird um, and uncomfortable because we've got to get over it. So, Here's what I want to do, because I want, I want a visible display of what God has done in our community that we might give him praise. All right, so this is going to be uncomfortable. But if you have come to faith in Jesus since coming to this church, so this church has been the place where you have learned the gospel and come to faith in Jesus, begun walking with him, I would love to have you stand. I'm going to have some other people stand with you too, so you won't be alone. So go ahead and stand if that's you. Awesome. Good to see y'all. Somebody's waving in the back. All right. That's not like a Baptist preacher. I see you back there in the hand. I see it. I got it. 
All right. So, yeah, praise God. Love it. And look, there are dozens and dozens more. I know many people. They're not here today. Well, we'll get them later. All right. Uh, next group of people. If uh, you, you were a Christian before, but this is the place where it's like, man, God really got a hold of me. This is the place where I've really learned to walk with God and, and grown tons in my faith. Like, this has been the primary season of growth in your Christian walk in this community. Um, let me have you stand as well. Most people. All right. Excellent. All right. If, um, if, if you came to be a part of this community because somebody invited you, like, so you're here because somebody you know brought you here, why don't you, I'm going to have you stand as well. So, look, and the people that are sitting are the ones that, like, shared the gospel and discipled and invited the ones who are standing. Do you see how the kingdom of God is at work in us? You people, just going about your normal life, talking to people, inviting them to things, thinking it's no big deal, produces this kind of growth for God. It's good stuff. Let's give God praise for this. All right, you can sit down. This is my hope for our church, that we will bear witness to Jesus, and as we do, God will add to our number those who are being saved. All right, last thing, last word, spirit. We've talked about this quite a bit already. Uh, Todd is going to talk about it next week from Acts 2. So the main thing I want to say about the spirit is that we need him. Whatever kind of people, whatever kind of church God wants us to be, it's not something we can do. We absolutely need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in this text. Uh, I want you to just notice this key little word in verse 4. So verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them. I love it. That's a pretty strong language. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. That's the key word. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is saying, I have an incredible mission for you. This is going to be like nothing you've ever imagined. You are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But hang on. Don't, like, wait. Don't get ahead of yourself. Do not get ahead of God. What I'm calling you to is not something you can do. You need so much more than your abilities and your resources and your best day to make this happen. Wait. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, you kind of see the issue come up again. They say, all right, is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know, is this the time? Like they're trying to figure out what God's doing and when he's going to do it. And Jesus is like, yeah, stop worrying about the ins and the outs of God's plan. Here's the plan. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. That's all of the plan that you need to know. Because when the Spirit comes, he will lead and enable you in to do what's next. So just wait. This still applies to us. I mean, we have the Spirit, but we still want to do things on our own timetables and not God's. And we need to learn to wait. We have ideas about what God should do, when he should do it, how he should do it. We have ideas about what church should look like. 
Jesus' point here seems to be that God knows what he wants to do and when he's going to do it. This is not for you to figure out. Your part is wait. And when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit leads, when the Spirit enables, act. But no, no sooner than that. There are lots of things I want for our church. I mean, good things. But the kingdom of God is not always what I think it is. And it certainly doesn't come all at once. The things that we want aren't going to happen tomorrow. That's not how the kingdom works. I, I need to learn the art of waiting. Now, one of the things that Luke makes clear is that the, the posture of waiting is prayer. All throughout these chapters, you'll see these instances where the Spirit comes upon the people. And all, regularly, when that happens, the people are together praying. And so like right after this first scene in verse 12 through 14, it says they, so Jesus tells them that this is going to happen. They return to Jerusalem. And um, when they got there, they went up into the upper room. All the disciples were there together with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They're all there. And with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Man, what beautiful waiting. They just got this amazing promise, this amazing word from Jesus. They saw him taken up into the clouds. And they go, you know, into a room and they pray. And they wait. This is my last hope for us. That we would have a disposition of prayer. That we wouldn't be in a hurry to make things happen. I want us to be expectant. I want us to want and be eager to see God at work, but to be patient. His time, his ways. We're going to do a lot of talking over the next uh, few weeks about these things, about what kind of church God wants us to be, and about the normal routines that a church goes through. Because in Acts, you see these people, they have this great expectancy, and then they have these really normal lives. And so we want to talk about these normal lives and how that becomes a context for really supernatural work for them, uh, but also for us. So let me end there, and let me just pray that God would do these things in us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.